The debt of our sin has been completely canceled. We have been forgiven. And we've been credited with Jesus' righteousness. A righteousness that's not our own. It's foreign. It came from without, outside of us. Nothing internal produced it. It comes from outside of us. Why? To bring us into God himself. And the God that enjoys the fellowship that he's had for all previous eternity. And he'll enjoy that fellowship with himself for all eternity. And what does he do for his children? He says, come to me. Come to me into me and enjoy the fellowship that that i have with myself to well any attack on a member of the trinity is an attack against the whole fellowship of the godhead and to diminish jesus divinity or humanity is to deny the triunity i like how pastor peter has used that that phrase, the tri-unity of God. We have, in our culture, uh, I find that we have, it's pretty endless, um, endless schemes to take the divinity of Jesus out of his humanity, to make him just another human. Uh, A couple months ago, I think it was just last month, in Time Magazine, there was an article that said, did Jesus have a wife? Now, where does that come from? What's the thought behind that? Is it just simply the intrigue? Oh, did he? We know he just don't ever know, and he was single. Did we ever know that he really had a wife? I mean, is there, everybody thinks it's Mary Magdalene, and just trying to figure out, so they're discovering something else to say, well, Jesus must have had a wife because of this, this, and this. And I began thinking, why, why this intrigue? And I think it's another way to get Jesus just like us. For what reason? If he's just like you and me, I don't feel judged. And isn't that the theme of our society? The theme of culture is judge not, lest you be judged. Let's be tolerant. Let's not judge anybody. We don't want to... Today, that's the most quoted verse of the Bible, Matthew 7, 1. Judge not, lest you be judged. But if we take the God out of the man, Jesus... We just have somebody that's like us, and we don't have to fear him. Because you know the difference when you're talking about God with a, a friend, family member, co-worker, and you bring up the name Jesus, everything changes, doesn't it? Because we know that was a man who was different. He spoke with authority. He was God right here in our midst. And when you bring his name up, I am face-to-face with me. The truth about my own condition, the truth about who he is and his righteousness, the fact that I'm not righteous and I can't be in his presence. And that's the beauty of what Christ has done for us. That's that's right. All those things are right. But he draw the Father has willed and the Son has effectively sacrificed himself so the Spirit now works in us to draw us to himself to where we say, yes, forgive me, please forgive me of my sins. Come in me, live in me. And when he comes in us, he welcomes us into himself. But to to take anything, uh, in years past, it was to take the humanity out of Jesus. And that's what the Gnostics, who John is, is writing to the church to say, look, these guys are coming in and think that knowledge is the key and is the answer. And he's getting ready to tell them, look, you've got the spirit. You have the knowledge that you need. You don't have need for this additional knowledge. But he's, he's, he's letting them know, 
with this Gnosticism, with the spirit being good and the flesh being bad, the Gnostics wanted to take the humanity out of Jesus in order to exalt him. Well, Jesus could never have been a man like us because that would have been bad, because he was in the flesh and the flesh is bad. We want to live in a way that's going to get a spirit. It's going to, through knowledge, we're going to ascend to the heights of, in this life, it's the mental, but after life, it's the spirit, and the spirit is great, and we need to, so that's where the Gnostics are saying, well, let's divide this up. But any time you seek to take either his divinity out or his humanity out, you don't have Jesus anymore. You don't have the truth. You don't have a bedrock. You don't have solid rock to stand on in order for us to believe to be saved. A denial of the Son and Father is a denial of their oneness and their fellowship. It is an instead of Christ. Because Jesus affirmed his own oneness with the Father by declaring the Father and I are one from John 10 verse 30. We are one. And to, to differentiate um, is to deny. And denial Denial can be passive. Denial can be aggressive. We can aggressively deny. We can passively deny deny Christ by just either trying to work out salvation on our own or just live in a way that doesn't exalt um, the, the Son as He is, the God-man, the perfect one. We learn in these verses, in verses uh, 18 and 19, <coughs> excuse me, in 22... 23. Look in verse 22 and 23. He's talking about liars. And this is the spirit of Antichrist is a lie. And these are liars who are promoting this. And who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? That is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And, and up in verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. I think there's an interesting thing. Antichrist, and especially as it comes from within the church in wrong doctrine, eventually will go out. If, we, if we're holding to the truth, if we're maintaining the truth, and maintaining our fellowship with God, it will leave because it won't find root. It won't find fertile soil. It won't find the rock <laughs> because we already are tethered to it in our own hearts. Uh, and there's a perseverance, I think, that it proves our position in Christ. A perseverance that says, because uh, we, we are told by Christ, those who persevere to the end will be saved. But if we're truly born of God, we're going to persevere to the end because God's looking out for us. He's protecting us. He's guiding us. He's leading us. And he's working in us to bring us to that point. Uh, our confession also, that confession with the perseverance, I think through time, if you have the right confession, it's going to persevere. As you're confessing Christ, and as you are, and, and you know, sometimes, you can tell when sometimes, uh, when people talk to convince themselves, it's, it's talking and it's over and over and over again. It's all right. Uh, I think you see that with politicians all the time. Are you trying to convince me, or are you trying to convince yourself? And when you say that over and over and over and over again. I mean, politicians all the way down the, to the menial politicians or whatever. Um, when we profess, when we confess Christ at, with word and deed, not simply saying it, but our life testifies, our life confesses 
who Christ is, that's going to persevere. And it's going to prove, I think it's a, good, it's, it's a good litmus test for us to figure out, are we in Christ or not? Hey, think about it like this. Either you're seated in the plane that's going 500 miles an hour, or you're trying to hold on to the wing as it's going 500 miles an hour. If you're in Christ, you're going to persevere. If you're trying to hold on to that wing, you can hold on for a little while. Some will hold on longer than others. But eventually, you're just going to get sucked off that thing and plummet to your death. We don't want to do that. Uh, the Father is the one that maintains the confession of his children through his spirit. And, and this, as we are confessing, what are we confessing? I think we're confessing the image of God. As God's restoring his image in us, he was cre- we are created in his image, in his likeness. We have the fall a couple, cha- a couple chapters later, and then we have this long period of distort- uh, distorted image of who God is. And then we have Christ, who now is coming, and we come... By our faith in him, we are forgiven of our sins, credited with his righteousness. His spirit lives inside of us. Why? So we can behold who he is and be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. To be transformed from one image to a greater image and a greater image. We learn that from 2 Corinthians 3.18 as Paul's writing to them. But as we are trying to figure out um, who, what Antichrist is. We need to be discerning, but ultimately we need to know the truth. And we've been anointed to know the truth. In verses 20 and 21, uh, John is very explicit. And, and this is quite, it's not a backhanded comment to the Gnostics, it's a front hand slap to the Gnostics, saying, You have, you've been anointed to know the truth. You have no need of somebody to give you extra information. You've been anointed by the Spirit Himself, by the Holy One. And you know, you know all you need to know. And he's, he's letting the Gnostics know you, you don't have a place here because it's the Holy Spirit that in us illumines. He makes the light come on. And he, he makes us aware of all that Christ is and all that he, he was when he was on the earth, all that he is now in his exalted state. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit when we were, were regenerated. The moment we became converted, all the fullness of the Holy Spirit was in us. Now, I think we, we grow in our experience of the power of the Spirit in our lives. And there are, there are marked times in my own life where I know there was a, a unique surrender in my own heart and a power of the Holy Spirit rising through that surrender. And God works that in us, and He brings us to those points. And I, I think it's connected to faith. He brings us from faith to faith. The gospel is revealed from faith for faith as we rehearse the gospel, as we grasp it, as we know it intimately. We're going to be transformed. Why? By the power of the Spirit that's within us. So there's, there's a progression of our experience of power. But all of that, is uh, God's not looking to dispense a little more. Oh, you're surrendering more? Okay, I'll give you a little more of the Spirit. Are you going to surrender a little more? Uh, you have more faith? I'm going to give you a little more Spirit. I don't think it works that way. We don't see that in Scripture. We see that all the Spirit that we need ever is in us. And we experience the power as we live, as we maintain, as we trust. Uh, you can think of it like this. The power source is connected. We don't have to walk around looking for a plug that works. <laughs> Does this one work? Does this one work? In our new, in our new house, we discovered we'd go put the, 
put something in a plug, and it didn't work, and we're thinking, what's going on? And then it took us about three weeks, and we had these lone light switches, and we'd go turn the switch on, and we're looking up. I don't know what this is for, and, <laughs> and I don't know how it happened, but I think one of the kids, we had plugged something in, didn't realize that the lamp was on, and she does this, and the light came on. Oh, it's for the plug. We've got like three of those in the house. We never knew that before. Just kind of, I have to feel this out. We don't have to do that with the Holy Spirit. We don't have to figure out the connecting points. Does this switch work for that one or the light? What is going on? The Spirit, God's not complicated like that. He's going to leave us to figure that out. We have the power source. We are plugged into it. And we have all of the Spirit in us. We have, and since we have all of the Spirit, we have, John says, all knowledge. I think that knowledge, that all knowledge is one uh, of a, it's an all knowledge as in a sufficient knowledge base. We need help to discover that knowledge. Does that make sense? Because where we can go from this and being anointed for the truth and the Spirit illumines the truth. We still need people in our lives to help us. We still need pastors and teachers. Some people have taken this verse and thought, I don't have to go to church anymore. I don't need to listen to teachers anymore. I have the Holy Spirit. And it usually comes in the form of, you know what? I just have the Holy Spirit. So I sit down with the Bible, and I've got the Holy Spirit. So I don't need a pastor. I don't need a teacher. You know what happens then? I've seen it happen. The truth, the, object, uh, the objective truth that's in the word that the Holy Spirit is bringing out, if we don't have somebody to bounce that off, if we don't have a pastor that's, and teacher that's kind of hemming in, putting guardrails up so we know, look, I want to go 90 miles an hour, but it's on this road. I don't want to be veering off and going back and forth. Whenever we just leave up to ourselves without the influence of others, truth will ultimately become subjective. Truth will ultimately become what I think is right. We need people in our lives. We need those that we are walking with, fellowshipping with, to be able to say, you know what? Um, I'm not sure that book is helpful. I know there's some things that you, let's take what, what, what good we can, but I'm not sure it's helpful. We need people like that. Otherwise, we start developing our own wrong thoughts about God and then passing that on to others. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit turns the light on what God has revealed of himself. So I believe, ultimately, the Holy Spirit is highlighting the word. He's highlighting Jesus as God has spoken by his son. He's highlighting Jesus in the authority of the word of God. Now, whenever, let's think about when the Spirit will speak to us. Uh, I love the fact that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. As, as God's children, we, we sense uh, to pray for somebody. We sense we have maybe a word to minister to somebody or to broadly to the church. We, I love that ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's participating in the fellowship of who God is. But we have to understand ourselves enough. Remember, we have to, be the, we have to maintain the truth about ourselves in our fallen condition, then now we're saved. Now we have flesh that we're still battling. We're having our own wants, desires, and emotions that sometimes just want to sabotage us and sink us down. And we still need to be aware of that because we want to 
we want to experience the full fellowship, but we need the guidance, we need the bounce back, we need to be able to share with others what we're thinking in order to keep truth objective, to keep truth as something that's outside of us that we're looking for. Outside of us in the, in the form of the exalted Christ, but the Holy Spirit drawing us toward Him and as we seek Him and as we want to know more about Him. The Holy Spirit illumines the truth. John 16, 13, Jesus says of the Spirit, He will bring to mind everything that I have taught you. Jesus provides the guardrails. He'll, he's he's going to highlight everything that I said and he's going to give you the power to walk it out. And this anointing, I, I love this thought because it captures how the kings were anointed in the Old Testament. You know, can you see Samuel when he finally sees David? And he's, he's been looking at the outward appearance, and he learned something about God in that moment. That God looks at the heart. It's the heart of this young man that, that he's going after. And he could have been a young teenager at this time. And when, when Samuel anoints David, it's not just a little... There you go, a little dab. I mean, he's pouring oil on him, and the oil is soaking in his hair, and it's running down, and it's like the, the thickness of yoke. That's the kind of oil. This is not just water. There's a soaking happening, and there's a residual effect that it stays with you. You can't just wash it out. We have been soaked and wet with the Holy Spirit, and he is ours, and we have him and we have all knowledge through that. We have all that the Spirit is. We have all the promises of walking in newness of life and walking with the Spirit, walking with the Son as we exalt Him. But we're soaked with it. We're soaked with the Spirit for the purpose of truth, setting us free to enjoy fellowship and communion with God. And then we're told to abide. In the, the last several verses, we, we have this abiding. This is a theme that John had in his gospel account. Abide in him. There's an abiding that is to take place. There's a remaining. There's a settling in. There's a getting comfy. There's a, there's a comfortableness. Where? With God. In our fellowship with him. To abide is to remain and rest in the fellowship that God enjoys with himself and remain there through our own study of the word, our own desire to see the exalted Christ and see the word in, see the word in scripture, <laughs> to not just see words on a page, but to see Christ as we're with him, as we're praying, as we're involved in the, com the communication, the communing of the Godhead as, as they're speaking to one another. We get to participate in that in prayer. We get to hear the will, of the, the will and the promises of the Father. We get to be reminded of the sacrifice of Christ for our benefit that gets us there. We, we have the Spirit making all of those things work together and be effective and powerful in our lives. That's what prayer is. Prayer is not just going through a list, making sure we want to intercede. We want to bring our petitions before the Lord. But what are we doing? We're bringing... God back to God. We, we find that example in Moses. When Moses has been, God's been revealed to Moses, and then Moses, when he's interceding for the people, he reminds God of who he is. He reminded, of, of, reminded God of what he described of himself back in the, when Moses was just seeing the backside of God, that he's, he's the Lord, the Lord God, abounding in loving kindness, slow to anger. He reminds that of God. How does that happen? You've got to be in his presence. You've got to soak it in and hear and learn and be there. So there, 
There's us one-on-one with God that maintains our fellowship with Him. Uh, We live by faith in every situation and circumstance. We remain in God by serving, by not looking for a return or how it's going to make me feel. We simply serve and we learn to love like the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. We want to be that. Uh, Abiding is getting caught up in the exaltation of Christ. Uh, We're told that this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life in verse 25. And it brings back Jesus' prayer. It's recorded in John 17, 3. This is eternal life, what? That they know you, the one true God. So there's there's an exaltation. And this eternal life is about knowing. It's about coming into the the grand aspects and promises of all that God is to us and the promises that he makes to us, that's eternal life. We get to experience it now in anticipation for that day. But Jesus is exalted through our living for that day. We've been given eternal life. We've been given a knowledge of God to grow in. Why? To support us in heaven. Heaven is is going to be about revelation. It's going to be about God being revealed over and over and over to us. So we grow now. We're training ourselves now for that day to say, I want to take in as much as possible. Buffet lines. I love this example. In buffet lines, you have some people that are going to come up and they'll get one plate, get a little salad, sit back down, and be quite full, quite content. And they'll leave church today quite happy. You got some others that just say, free food. I'm there. But you, you know those people. The people that come up, and they've got two plates. I'm a two-plater. I can come up and get two plates quite easily. I've got to exercise self-control. Then I keep on going just to make sure, no, that's about it. Especially when it comes to sweets, I can really take it in. But you have some others that can, they can do five if they, if they could. But in heaven, we're going we're gonna to have an appetite for God. Here, we increase our appetite for God through our knowledge of him, through our knowledge of the truth. So I want, I want 2,000 plates full in heaven so I can take in all that Christ is. And all, I think we're still learning in heaven. We're still seeing Christ, and we're still making connections of who he, how he was revealed in Scripture as we knew it and, and how he worked things out in our lives. We're still learning through Revelation. We get to participate in that now. Jesus Uh, or abiding keeps us close within, as Tim Keller says, the dance of God. God delights, and he, he, he orbits around himself in the Trinity. And he delights in that. There's a mutual serving. There's a mutual giving and benefit. And God welcomes us into that. And we get to participate in serving and that mutual love and affection through our own service, self sacrifice and abiding preserves us in Christ. It assures us of salvation and protects us from false teaching. We want to be assured of that. We have uh, an assurance, verse 28 and 29. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Assurance. We have assurance of who Christ is. We have assurance of our salvation that we can stand in courage and bold. Why? Not because of something we've done. Because of all that Christ has done and our trust in that. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, 
you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of God. We want to be strengthened. One of the themes of uh, reasons of John writing this letter is to strengthen the church. We want to be strengthened not to go out and find everything that's, uh, that's an antichrist. We want to be strengthened in our knowledge and experience of the truth of Christ and who he's revealed himself to be so that we can go uh, practice righteousness. We can obey him in joy, not to gain salvation, but because we have been granted salvation. We go, we live a righteous life, and we experience fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you from a decision that happened in eternity past to redeem your people. The fact that we can count ourselves in your thoughts, so to speak, when, when before you even laid the foundations of the earth, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's too lofty. It's too high. I can't contain it. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your love for the Father. Thank you for your love for us and wanting us to experience your love for the Father. Thank you for your effective sacrifice. Holy Spirit, thank you for making these things actual in our lives. We ask that we would be strengthened. We would be couraged. We would be faith to know the truth, to be free in our knowledge of the truth, in our experience of the truth, in receiving truth so we can, we can be the light in a dark world through, through our righteous acts that have come from being clothed with your righteousness. Thank you, God. Thank you for a fellowship with you. Strengthen it. Strengthen it, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sorry I went a few minutes over, but y'all had 15 minutes free.